The Gospel reading for this evening can be found on the 25th chapter according to the Gospel of St. Matthew, reading at the 14th verse. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, reading from verse 14 all the way to verse 30. Jesus said, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. Now he also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we just bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer. So gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that is given to us this evening. We pray that, Lord, you will speak to us that in this year of equipping, you may teach us the areas that we need to be equipped in, the areas that we need to grow, to be faithful leader, to be faithful servant for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? You know, church, as we focus this year's theme on equipping the saints, part of our training process here in All Saints Church involves this area of spiritual leadership. And the person of David is chosen for our study as a guide. For you see, without a doubt, David here is an excellent model for us to learn and to understand what sort of a 
shepherd-type leader God wants you and I to be. You see, a close examination on his varied experiences gives us vivid insights into some fundamental and godly principles regarding leadership issues. What was so remarkable about a king who became life as a young shepherd boy? What was it about David as a leader that enabled him to draw others towards him? What strength of will caused David to start again after making huge errors of judgment that cost many lives. These are just some of the many lessons that we can gain in the study of David. And so we started off last week in chapter 16, where we find that God chose and anointed David to be the new king of Israel. And here we discovered one of the vital keys of leadership which God values, and that is a leader must have the right heart, someone who is after God's own heart. And now as we explore the next chapter in 1 Samuel 17, here is yet another important factor for us to consider. And so with that, can I invite you to turn with me as we look into the passage that we want to study. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to read two parts. The first part is from verse 1 to verse 11. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, in verse 1. And we are told, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokol and Azekiel, in Ephes Damnin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistine a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. Verse 8, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defile the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have this encounter of the story of David and Goliath. It is a very familiar story that is told constantly in Sunday school classes, and I believe many of us know the story well. There are songs that we sing about, and even movies that are made to motivate the human will to overcome giants in their lives. 
But you know, as we engage ourselves in this well-loved story, note that it is not just about the underdog overcoming great odds. Because most importantly, you'll find in this story, we encounter three types of leadership being displayed. And the first type of leadership that is being displayed is the fearless leader, or what I term as the bombastic leader. Now, this sort of a leader makes threats and he challenges people through loud boasting. And the giant Goliath personifies such a leader. In verse 8 to 10, we are told that he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And for 40 long days, this behemoth of a man battled the Israelites with this challenge. His thundering voice echoed through the valley would have certainly dismayed and terrified not only Saul, but I believe his entire army as well. Now, if this was not bad enough, just the sight of him alone was rather imposing, enough to cause great fear and anxiety among the ranks. You see, Goliath is not called a giant in the fairy tale sense, for he was certainly a huge man, bigger than any average being, because his physical parents, his physical appearance would certainly send shockwave to anyone who sees him. Now the Bible in verse 4 describes him as standing as six cubit and six cubit and a span. Meaning to say, his height was, guess how high? How tall? Nine feet tall. And in our metric system, it is about three meters tall. Now we can say Pastor Gilbert is taller, but this guy uh, is super tall. And look at what he was wearing. We are told that his armor of bronze together with his helmet weighs a staggering 5,000 shekels. Again, to put it into context, it is about 57 kg. Okay, to put it further into context, uh, how many of us here weigh 57? Okay, you all don't want to say, okay, I understand, all right? Okay, 57 kg maybe is about the average weight of a teenager, all right? Think about it that way, okay? The weight of a teenager, and that was his helmet, the weight of his bronze helmet. And, to, and, and his weapon of bronze spear alone, we are told, with his iron sharp head, spearhead, weighed another 600 shekels, about 7 kg. So Goliath was certainly the Philistines' champion, towering over them and their enemies. No wonder you find that the Israelites were intimidated by him. And so would we if Goliath were to walk into the sanctuary today, right now. But you know, by now we should remember in the case of Saul, the very own king, that we are not to be excessively impressed or to be intimidated by height because we are told that Saul's height in fact, meant very little, even though he was uh, recorded to be a head taller than any of the other Jews. Neither should we be too concerned with status or appearance. Because if we recall back last week, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David was chosen, the shepherd boy, a ruddy, 
teenager was chosen to be king by God not due to his outward appearance, but what was in his heart. Now, behind the bravado and the bombast of this giant, David saw the fragile strength of Goliath's leadership, and that was his pride. You see, Goliath had pride in his own strength, pride in his ability, and that gave him the power, that gave him the confidence to be fearless, to be gung-ho, to be boastful. But as we will soon discover, that without God's presence, without God's help, we will fall down flat no matter what type of ability or strength you and I may possess. As the wise words of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 reminds us, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And how appropriately then that when David took up the challenge and fought the giant with only a sling and a stone instead of a sword and a spear, that boastful Goliath came crashing down, defeated and dead. We switch now our attention to King Saul. Interestingly, where was the king all this while during the commotion? We read that when the Philistines gathered their armies for battle against the Israelites, verse 1 and 2 tells us that Saul was together with his men and they were encamped in the valley of Elah. That means to say, Saul, like his men, heard that loud, boastful taunt of Goliath. Like his men, Saul also could see and think in terms of the physical strength and power of this giant. Yet the contrast between he and David was so glaring. Why didn't the current leader of Israel see through Goliath's facade as David did? After all, you will realize that David himself happened to be present at that time where he also heard and saw this exact threats that was made before them. You find that in verse 33, which happens to be Saul's first of two speeches in this chapter, give us the answer. We are told in verse 33 that Saul said this to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, but he has been a man of war from his youth. You see, this verse reveals to us that Saul it's the second type of leadership being, being displayed here and that he is a fearful leader. A leader who was easily demoralized, depressed and envious when he sees something that is bigger or better than him. But you know, sadly, this is a different picture of the king. This is a different picture of King Saul because earlier in chapter 14, verse 47 and 48, we are told that when Saul became king, he fought valiantly and he was victorious. In that beginning, Saul drew confidence and trust in God. But somehow, along the way, the moment he came to power, he began to rely more on his ability. He stopped listening to anyone and especially to the prophet Samuel's wise counsel. And this is a warning that every one of us as a leader or a disciple, we should be mindful of. 
You see, it is so very easy for us to rely on our own strength, to rely on our own ability, to rely on what we can do and not trust in God, and then we find ourselves simply drift away. And consider now the things that Saul did that led to this state. Run through, if you look, the life of Saul when he became king, we find that he began to cut himself out from God's word. He became arrogant. He overstepped himself with other duties. He began to value material possessions. He made excuses for all his mistakes and blunders. It was therefore not surprising to read that Saul was suffering from depression, he had violent temper, and he was envious. That he was demoralized, that he was fearful of Goliath, and he was unable to lead his army to victory. But moving on to verse 38, we observe here of yet another important aspect which confirms Saul as a fearful leader one who was trusting in human strength. You see, when David volunteered to be Israel's champion, observe what Saul did, or rather, what he offered to David. We are told that he clothed David with his armor. Now, I find this quite ironic. I mean, you know, here was David. We know the description of David, right? He was just a young, small boy. And here was David, only a youth, putting on the armor of Saul, who again we know is not the average man, but a head taller than any others. You know, it is like a person of size S putting on a shirt size XXXL. And again, maybe to help us put into context, uh, I see Ethan. Ethan was around here somewhere. Ethan, yeah? It's like Ethan putting on the shirt of Pastor Gilbert. It's a total mismatch. And clearly, this is an indication that Saul relied greatly on the things of men, that he relied on worldly matters, but not so for the shepherd king. Because again, you'll find that having recognized that these worldly things that Saul hung on are useless and not able to help him in any way, verse 39 tells us that David put them off and instead, he chose to rely on what he knew best. And in one of his Psalms, in Psalm 20 verse 7, David declared these beautiful words. He said that some may trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. David didn't rely on the things of the world. Instead, he relied on his God and God alone. Let's continue on with our story as we look in verse 19. Now Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Eli, fighting with the Philistine. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provision and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was coming out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistine drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of God, 
Goliath by name came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the man of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26. And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defile the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So it shall be to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Now when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David, David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out from his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And David said, and Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then we have this incident where Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze of, helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with this, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. But then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch, his sling with his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, 
whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you in my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saved not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. We're coming to the end. And when the Philistine arose and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand to his back and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And verse 50, And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So we have here this rather long section where we see the third leadership being displayed. We have done seen the traits of a fearless leader. We have seen what encompasses a fearful leader. And behind both these type of leadership style is the issue of pride and the reliance on human ability and strength. But this third and final type of leadership that is being displayed in this chapter is the God-fearing leadership. And it is this type of leadership that all of us should learn to emulate. And David epitomized this type of leadership in the following three ways. You see, he was a God-fearing leader. Why? Because number one, David had faith in God. You see, we read that when David brought the provisions for his brothers, he himself heard the threats of Goliath. He, saw, he himself saw the fear in the man's eyes. David had issued a challenge and boasted of his might and status. But in his response, David took the opportunity to issue a challenge of his own. And this led to him to ask those who were around him a rather innocent and yet embarrassing question. He asked the soldiers, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this joker who dared to defy the armies of the living God? In his bold speech, David here was introducing, listen to the words that he says, the armies of the living God. David was reminding the people that our God is a living God. And it highlighted the problem of the Israelites. You see, the real problem was not the size of one man. The problem with the Israelites was the, their attitude. They had simply lost faith in their God. And this was the main problem. But David saw and heard the giant as everyone was present there did. But yet, he viewed things differently. He still had faith in his God. And his faith grew because in his quiet moments, as a shepherd boy, while he was alone with Yahweh, he knew that God to be faithful. He knew that the Almighty is always bigger than any of our problems and that God will never fail him. You see, for David, 
It is a replica. It mirrors the time where the Israelites were to possess the promised land. And if you recall that, that time in Numbers chapter 13, when Joshua and Caleb scouted the land, they knew of its produce. However, the other ten scouts who went along, they themselves also saw the presence of giant. But instead of being positive, the other ten scouts became afraid. Instead of seeing faith, they saw fear, and what's worse, they instigated the entire group not to proceed forward into the promised land. But yet it was the leadership of Joshua that conquered the giants over the land. And so if history could teach us a lesson, the Israelites certainly have forgotten it, but not David. You see, for David, he had faith in God. He knew that if God in the past had helped his people defeated giants, plural, what is one more giant in the form of Goliath? So David was a, fearful, was a God-fearing leader because he had faith in God. Second, David was a God-fearing leader because he trusted in God's protection. You see, whenever you step out by faith to engage the enemy, there's always somebody around to discourage you. And you know what? Very often, it begins in your own home. When you want to do something, very often you find that the people that you know will be the one that will be stumbling you, that will cause you to be discouraged. And we find this very true in the Bible. We find that Moses was criticized by his very own siblings. And certainly our Lord Jesus, his earthly family, at one time even misunderstood him and opposed his ministry. And in the case of David, it was his elder brother, his, his oldest brother, Eliab. We read in verse 28, the brother said to him, why have you come down? You know, with whom have you left the sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption that evil in your heart. You have come down to see the battle. But you see, David didn't allow Eli's harsh words to discourage him. And here lies the difference between David and Saul. You see, when Saul heard the threats, when Saul heard the criticism, it resulted in him becoming fearful. It led him to be discouraged. Whereas David merely struck them off and held on to the promises of God. Why? Because David had experienced the power of God before in his own life. And he knew that God would do the same for him right now. If God had enabled him to defeat the lion and the bear, he would surely enable David to defeat Goliath. If God had helped him save his father's flock, Yahweh would surely help David save his nation. So you see, the revelation of David's trust in God's protection is obvious. When he chose not to rely in the armor that Saul had entrusted him, but in the living God. And finally, what made David a God-fearing leader was that he gave glory to God. You see, the objective of David's killing the wild beasts while tending to his father's flock was not to save the sheep, but more so to acknowledge God's power. 
Similarly, the purpose of David's victory over Goliath is not simply to save Israel to defeat the Philistine. The sole purpose was to the glorification of his God. And the very weapon that David used, a sling, and this was almost considered a child's toy. And yet God used it to defeat a giant in full armor gear, carrying a sword, a spear, and a javelin. And when David did overcome the giant, we are told that he wanted the whole assembly, both the Israelites and the Philistines, to know that the victory belongs to God and God alone. This is why he mentioned in verse 47, that the, for the battle is the Lord and he will give you into our hands. In accepting Goliath's challenge, David was in no way motivated by the reward of marriage, marriage to one of Saul's daughter. He was not motivated by wealth. He was not motivated by royalty or fame. His only one desire was to defend God's honour. And church, when God receives the honour, God will give you the victory. So behind this confidence then is the reliance solely on God and God alone. So in conclusion, a fearless leader, a fearful leader, and a God-fearing leader. These are the three leadership types found in today's narrative. But which of these three categories best describe us as God's leader? Among the three types, which do you think God desires in us? To recap, a fearless leader is one who is gung-ho, he's bombastic in nature, he's proud, he's arrogant, he's boastful, he likes to show off his status and ability. And like Goliath, with his array of impressive armour, the fearless leader displays his full range of titles, achievement and portfolio just to impress others. But behind this confidence, is his pride. Because he trusts no one or nothing but himself, and once this pride is being removed, he will soon discover that his effort without God's help will only lead to his downfall. And like the fearless leader, the fearful leader is also one who puts his trust in the things of the world. What's worse is that he influenced others to the same as seen in Saul urging David to put on his own armour. What the fearful leader failed to recognise is that trusting in the things of the world is the cause of his fearfulness. Stripped of what he possessed, he will end up demoralised and defeated. In the eyes of God, it is not the fearless nor the fearful leader that God desires. Both types of leadership are considered to be worldly and one which God cannot use. Instead, it is that God-fearing leader that God wants in each and every one of us. He's the leader when faced with a gigantic task, will not rely on his ability and strength, but one that will solely depend and trust in God. He knows where the source of his help comes from. So church, as we close, whether you are currently serving the Lord in any leadership capacity within the church or you sense 
the calling, the Lord's calling to serve as a leader in any of the ministry along the way. The lesson for us is that we need to strive to be the type of leader God is seeking, the one who is God-fearing. A shepherd leader must be a God-fearing leader.